Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you enjoy this podcast, we really hope you'll give them a shot. There are a lot of people out there looking to sell you gold and silver. Legacy Precious Metals is looking to help you decide whether or not this is a, a good investment for you, whether or not it fits in your portfolio. They are a great sponsor of this show. We love them. We believe in them. We trust them. So we hope that you will do the same. Thank you for that. Today, there is a relatively young organization out there called Color Us United. And they say their mission is advocating for a race-blind America. Now, some people really believe race matters, that it is an inherent part of who each individual is. This organization believes that it belittles a, a total human being when you quantify them or characterize them simply by their race or by their gender or by their ethnic background. When you slice and dice and you put people into categories based on one immutable characteristic well, Colorist United thinks that is wrong and doesn't look at an individual as the sum of all of their parts. This is a really interesting group. It is a group of people that have gotten together. Some are white, some are black, some are Asian. It's a, it's a unique blend of people that are all have a, a singular mission. And so we thought we'd talk to their national spokesperson, Christian Watson whom you may have seen here or there. He's starting to make appearances as this group begins to grow, as it joins others like Blexit or Walk Away, in terms of getting people to really see how politics is playing them a little bit. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. This guy is a smart guy, and he's got a lot to say. Christian Watson joins us next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. So I'm really pleased to welcome Christian Watson onto the show. He is the national spokesperson for Color Us United, which describes itself as a group as advocating for a race-blind America. Christian, thanks for being with us. I, You know, I go on the website, and the first thing I think of it, when you say advocating for a race-blind America is that there are people who don't think we should be race-blind. So why do you think we should? 
Well, because I think that being race blind reflects America's eternal principles, eternal and internal principles. You know, America was founded on a set of values, and among those values are the value that the individual has moral weight, the individual has moral value, and it is incumbent upon both the government and society to respect that moral value. You can't see individuals in their totality if you only see them through a compartmentalized view of them. And race is ultimately a compartmentalized view of the individual, and it's not even a very good compartmentalized view, um, because for some people, the compartmentalized view can actually be quite productive. Some people may say, well, I'm a mother, and I want to be defined by that. Well, being a mother also suggests a bunch of other things about you, generally, that people can discern from that title. Um, but your race doesn't have the same significance, doesn't have the same connotation. So if we're going to respect the individual, if we're going to have a society based off of individual freedom, if we're going to have a legal structure, which also respects the true sense of equality, um, then we have to all believe that race is nothing more than an insignificant part of our DNA. That is what I believe. You know, I could talk about my background until I'm blue in the face, but I, it, I consider myself the sum of my parts and I look at everybody else the same way that, you know, their gender doesn't define them. Their race doesn't define them. Their skin color doesn't define them. But Clearly, this has become such a hot topic, such that you're part of an organization called Color Us United. How did this come about? Well, I mean, the organization or my participation in it or both? Uh, the organization. Well, um, the organization came about uh, a few years ago, about a year or so ago, actually. I think it's going to be two years in April, which is wonderful. So you're pretty uh, new. Yeah, we, we, are, we are pretty new. Um, and it's hard to see how it came about. But I know how my participation in it came about, and I, I can tell you my story, and I was making content on YouTube, like I still do every day, um, talking about various social and political issues that matter to this country, trying to use my voice to um, give people value. And uh, one of the people who helped fund our organization came upon my my channel upon recommendation from a, a mutual friend, and they decided that I would be a good voice for the cause. And then I had the occasion to meet Mr. Zhu, and he also decided the same thing as well. And so then all of a and sudden, and that's Kenny Zhu, who yeah, is the Kenny president Zhu. of Color Us United. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And then both of us decided to come together and you know helm this organization, and we've been at it ever since. Uh, ever since that, we decided to helm the organization. We have gone after um, the Salvation Army leadership for um, making their uh, members. Um, listen to critical race theory inspired principles in in the course of their duties, which they're still doing, they're still doing by the way. And now we can get into that a little bit later. That's actually the basis of our current Salvation Army campaign. Um, but we, we saw an article in the Washington Times, and we also heard from several Salvation Army members who said, we are being uh, taught uh, this kind of stuff. And some of the things were that salvationists should repent for the church's racism, that if a minority is talking, they need to be quiet, that all white people have privilege, things, just typical generic things that we've heard in the cultural discourse for almost the past decade now were being 
translated into a biblical organization. This was offensive. This was bad. So what we did, we decided to wield our media powers and we went after it and we told the leadership to stop. We got the leadership to pull the curriculum in question for review, but at the same time attack us for allegedly hurting poor people and allegedly trying to hurt the organization. And we made it very clear throughout the campaign, and we continue to make it clear to this day, that we are not trying to attack any Salvation Army person who is actually doing the most good, as their motto says. We're trying to make the Army better. We're trying to make the Army live in accordance to its fundamental functions. Um, and then after that, we went on to American Express, where we challenged corporate wokeness. And right now we have a whistleblower, Nick Williams, who is telling his story about what he experienced in American Express. American Express basically um, put him in a Soviet-style interrogation uh, simply for not giving a loan to an African-American woman. They had set a quota for how, for how many loans need to be given out to African-Americans in the pursuit of equity, so to speak. Um, Nick Williams used the traditional handbook and said that she doesn't have the best credit. She doesn't have a reliable track record. Therefore, we can't give her the loan. They said that's racist. They subjected him to about 72 days or so of interrogation, uh, and then they fired him. Uh, this is He was one of the top performers in the nation, in the entire nation. He put the he put the put almost every other American Express worker, he was the standard bearer of how they should work, and they got rid of him. So we've partnered up with him, and we're using our platform to help him share his story as well. So wherever we go, Whatever we do, our goal is very simple, to proclaim the virtues of a colorblind perspective whilst also moving America's institutions more in the direction of colorblindness. It's really interesting. You're you're at odds, obviously, with critical race theory and this wokeness that has really seeped into every aspect of American life and seems to be saying that they are in support of people of color, that they think people of color need to be uplifted, their stories need to be told, that they need, that that equity is the, the answer. And it's, so this is a real push-pull for you. What kind of resistance are you running into? Well, um, most of the resistance is coming from within the organizations that we're challenging. And most of that resistance is coming from the leadership. And when we get a full contact um, response, which we normally don't, a lot of times the leadership of these organizations will respond indirectly. Now, uh, albeit we only went after two organizations, and we're about we're going we're going we're we're addressing the first one we went after this this fall. So that's important to note as well. Um, but the Salvation Army leadership, I mean, Commissioner Hodder, who was over all of the Salvation Army chapters in the United States of America. He made a video about us that was retweeted by the international leader of the Salvation Army over the entire world that said Colorado United is waging war on Christmas and the poor, and they should be ashamed of themselves. And in that same video, he also said that diversity, equity, and inclusion is here to stay in our organization. And that is the basis for our current campaign. We're asking him kindly to get rid of diversity, equity, and inclusion because it detracts from the motto and mission of the Salvation Army. It detracts from the pursuit of charity and the spirit of goodwill. You see, a lot of people think that critical race theory or DEI or whatever woke um, category you want to look at are merely divisive. Well, they are divisive, but the, the narrative shouldn't stop there. 
these ideologies challenged the very core of what it means to be a human being. And what I mean by that is that these ideologies presume certain things about us as people that defy any kind of, I don't know, uh, any kind of sense of common sense, any kind of sense that we all have our own choices, we all have our own uh, free will in this world. Um, so, for example, I'll give you an example. Critical race theory arose in the late 70s, early 80s at the behest of Kimberly Crenshaw and a few of her law school buddies because they believed the civil rights movement wasn't uh, didn't do enough to fix disparity, that the message of equality and universal equality was actually insufficient in the face of fixing what they would call structural inequities. That would mean fixing de, de, de facto segregation, fixing healthcare access, fixing access to different services. That's what they called racism. And so they used that premise to presuppose that white supremacy was baked into the United States government. It was baked into all disparities, and there's no need to prove that. Well, as, as human beings, we, 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 uh, we learn things, and we reason by means of definitions, and we learn things by means of observation. If we have a definition in mind that is correct, we can then use that definition to interpret what we observe. But if you are now saying, I don't have to observe the racism. I don't have to even have the traditional view of what the racism is. I can just presume what it is, and I can just forget about doing any of the legwork. What you're saying is you're not going to use your mind with fullest capacity, and you're going to bind yourself to an idea that you haven't even checked out. Critical race theory, and a lot of academic theories are just like that. This is why I think it's important for people to study philosophy. It's one, of my, one of my big things is like, guys, you don't have to get a Ph.D., you don't have to be in the ivory tower, but I want you guys to understand some basic first principles. Because if you do that, you can't be shaked by the woke. If you do that, these ideologies won't won't bug you. As a as a person who studies philosophy every day, and particularly the Stoics, Absolutely. Marcus Aurelius, and yep. you know, I, I am with you on this. Let's take a quick break and let's come back and talk about those philosophical tenets that mm -hmm. you mentioned that you think. Uh, define people first and foremost. Right back. I'm almost getting sick and tired of talking about inflation and money, but it, it, money makes the world go round, right? Well, all the sayings around money, follow the money. All of those things are true because it, it is a kind of a the way we do commerce, the way we survive, the way we do business. And we've got a lot of tensions in, in the economy right now. There are too many job openings, not enough people working. We've got too much money in the system that was thrown out there through legislation, just printing money. And we have a war going on that is crippling not only gas supplies, but grain supplies, all kinds of things. And we've got a country known as China and the CCP, their communist Chinese party, Chinese Communist Party, that is toying with the entire world. So you're asking yourself, whom do I trust? Where do I go? What do I do with my money in the long term to make sure that I've got a retirement nest egg, that I've got money I can count on when inflation is sky high? That's where precious metals comes in. And the only company I trust when it comes to precious metals is legacy precious metals. That's who I would say you should deal with if you're interested in investing in gold and silver. 
And now is a good time to do it. Remember 2008? It was a really similar time. Those who invested in gold saw really big gains and others lost their retirements. So this may be the play you want to make. Just find out. The great thing about legacy precious metals, they're just going to talk to you. They're going to tell you what your options are, how little you can get started with, how much you want to get started with, all of the questions that you need answered. So give them a call, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right, Christian, you yeah. and I are clearly both agree that philosophy, and again, I study the Stoics, mm. is it, it provides you a framework for seeing yourself in the world and where you fit and what your decisions lead to and how you're really in control of your life more than you think that you are. Absolutely. Like, I, I think, you know, I think people think everything's happening to them in the world and they go through it like a car through a car wash or, a, mm. you know, driving through a storm, but they need to realize that that the only way they get through that storm is by the, the building blocks they've set for themselves to to endure the storm, to withstand the storm. I totally agree. And that rather than looking what, at what's happening to them, they need to look at how they respond to what's happening to them. Yeah. You were saying before the break that philosophy, you think, is something that, that, that everyone should start with or at least study a little bit of. You don't have to. It, it's, it ain't that tough. And mm. I, I'm saying that in a, in a way to to convey that I think people hear the world word philosophy and they go, Oh gosh, no, this, this is too heady for me. No, it's not. It's really very simple, which is why it has endured through the ages. So when you suggest to people, Hey, study philosophy, what are you trying to tell them? What do you recommend? <laughs> well, there are many ways you could take this question, but I, I, I'll just begin with the word itself. The word philosophy is an amalgamation of two separate words. Philos Sophia, right? Philos means uh, love. Sophia means wisdom. They are both Greek words. And so when you put those together, you get the love of wisdom. Now, this is what you learn in philosophy 101. It's not particularly unique unless you look at it from a different lens. When people think of philosophy, they think of all these very hard, dense um, to understand text. I think of all of these very difficult concepts. You have to yeah. understand that the, the, the tools that you need to appreciate philosophy rest within you. They don't rest within a schoolhouse. They don't rest within a curriculum. Because philos, all human beings by our nature have the ability to love. And we express love in so many different ways. We express love platonically romantically, so many different ways. In fact, I think that word love is sometimes thrown around so it has to be made cheap and meaningless these days. It's really a special thing that I think everyone should savor. And then you have Sophia, wisdom. Well, wisdom also originates from you as well. You can have wise actions, you can have wise thoughts, but wisdom is a process. Aristotle understood yep. wisdom is a process. You don't just get it. It has to be cultivated. But it exactly. has to be cultivated. Exactly. But if you have the love of wisdom, you don't need to have wisdom to love it. I don't need to have a piece of food in front of me to love the idea of that food. If I have the love of wisdom, that is the prerequisite for the pursuit of wisdom. And the pursuit of wisdom is universal to every single human being, regardless of their education level. 
So I would say that being a philosopher is merely being an, a human being plus one. That's what I say. It's interesting. You, you often hear that saying, wow, she's, she's really stupid, but she's wise. Or she's, you know, she's not, she's not book smart, but she's wise. It's, it's a very interesting concept, but it's so, so important. And it's so valuable. And I've talked to so many people whose lives have been changed by studying philosophy. Yeah. And there's some really easy, accessible is what I should say, really accessible books out there. Like you pick them up, you start reading, you go, huh. And it's, it doesn't require a thesaurus next to you or a dictionary over here or 16 hours a day of pouring over text. Go get Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way and start there. Go get a copy of Marcus Aurelius Meditations and mm -hmm. start there. You can read one little chunk a day and take something from it. That's mm -hmm. the way you can do it. And you're right. It's a love of wisdom, which I think is so necessary to just functioning as a human being. Mm -hmm. But again, I think there's this tension between people who want to rely on others and claim victimhood for their lot in life and people who want to say, I could have made a better decision here. I'm going to go make better decisions. I'm going to learn from this and go on and stack each day one on top of the other as the foundation of my of my life and my mm -hmm. future choices. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's I don't know why it's that that off putting to people, but I would encourage I would encourage everyone to do as you're saying. I'm going to say that I found you uh, through Prager University and you did a piece on diversity, equity and inclusion, which I guess the Salvation Army says is here to stay. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it should go away? Well, because diversity, equity and inclusion undermines, first and foremost, the responsibility that most of these institutions have to their people, which is not political. DEI is a political program masquerading as a program that stokes worker cohesion, which it does not. Um, and this is one of the bigger problems because it is being, it is so ubiquitous. Even in my old university, before I graduated, there was a office of diversity, equity, and inclusion established, which had some of the same aims that most corporate offices have to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion on campus. But what that means is they're going to promote a certain worldview and then label those world, uh, hide that worldview behind universal, you know, aspirations. A lot of people, when they hear the word diversity, they may not consider it in any critical way. They may say, well, yeah, I like diversity. Uh, they may say, and the word equity, which has really been changed over the years, they may even mm -hmm. say I like equity. And they may even say I like inclusion. A lot of people of goodwill who, who just want to be good people may be caught off guard by the usage of these words, and they may submit to it until they realize what they're getting themselves into, which is really concerning. And what is that? What is, what is it well, that they're really getting into? They're getting themselves into a philosophy that presupposes that certain groups of people are inherently predisposed to, to, to disadvantage, whereas others are not. And they don't base it on the basis of socioeconomic status or, or, or uh, wealth or whatever. They base it on the basis of race, sexuality, and things like that, things you can't control. If the argument mm -hmm. was that poor people generally have lower advantages um, to rich people in life and we have to help them, well, the last part of that argument I reject. I don't believe in welfare, but you would at least be making a valid premise. Poor people tend to have, by virtue of them being poor, less advantages than wealthy people. That, that, that makes total sense. But the argument is that historical oppression has made certain identity groups have less 
uh, ability to succeed than other identity groups. And therefore, we have to elevate them through particularized policies, which treats them as a victim. This is a philosophy of defeat and masochism almost. Who wants to sit there and be told that they have an inherent tendency not to succeed because of how they look? Only a masochist would do that to themselves. But this is the philosophy being adopted in mass by these institutions, and it goes against their obligation to their people, to their consumer base. The Salvation Army's obligation is to do the most good, as their motto says, and to conduct charitable operations around the world. How can you conduct charity, which relies on a spirit of universal affection towards man on the basis of him being man, qua man, when you're sitting here compartmentalizing man into different identity characteristics and treating him, ranking his value on the basis of such? You can't do the Mm -hmm. most good if you're doing evil simultaneously, and compartmentalizing man on the basis of identity is so certainly evil, since it rejects the fullness of who he is. And so many other institutions— Sorry, go on. I, if you, if the, you let me go, no, I, I'll, I'll go on a rant. So you don't want me to do that. So. I, <laughs> <laughs> don't want me to do that. I, I Listen, I, I love it. I just want to stop where I have questions. Yeah. Because I think people are going to hear the word evil from you. Yeah. And they're going to say, evil? Yes. I, how could diversity, equity, inclusion, how, how could that possibly be evil? They're trying to help. The version of diversity, equity, and inclusion posed right now in universities and corporations is evil because it rejects the fullness of who you are for a compartmentalized version, for an inferior version. So instead of Christian Watson being a full individual, Christian Watson is a black man who needs policy help from the DEI coordinator. No, I'm much more than my race. I'm much more than my ability to talk about my race. I'm much more about any single characteristic you can see, right? Walt Whitman said, I contain multitudes. And you have to take that really seriously, right? Because when you contain multitudes, no one can capture you into a box and predict everything you're going to say and reject anything from you in the future on that basis. No, they they have to keep up. Sorry. No, they certainly can't. I mean, just by the fact that you're sitting here as a black man, and I think if we – there are certainly opposing views to you. There are certainly people, and and quite a few of them, everyone from Al Sharpton to Joy Reid who have these megaphones on – on television who continue to promote this, what they very much believe is that they are oppressed in some way is that their skin color has been a, an obstacle that they've had to overcome that a white person would not have to overcome. I believe everyone has obstacles to overcome and, and you know, it, it and you can choose to look at your gender as one of them, or you can say to hell with that. I'm going and pursuing what I want to pursue. So clearly the black population is not monolithic and yet your your voice seems to be a minority voice within the the black community why do you think that is i don't think it is you don't think it is no no see what i think i think that the democratic party has run a, a very sophisticated propaganda operation on black people over the past 50 years and that propaganda operation has made them believe that republicans are evil it has made them believe that the Democratic Party has their best interests, when in all reality, the Democratic Party has been pushing policies that have been destroying the ability for African Americans to flourish for the past 50 years. This includes the crime bill, um, which I'll, I'll admit, it came from Nixon. It started in Nixon. It germinated through Reagan. But in the 90s, 
Biden took the latest version and he just gummed it up. And you had people like uh, uh, Charles Rangel from New York, who, by the way, sat on Nixon's drug panels and decided all those laws, which end up with a disparity of African-American men in prison for possessing crack cocaine. All this stuff came large part from Democrats. Uh, and also from black community leaders as well, who had these certain ideas that the state could help them fix their social problems. And we see uh, we have an inordinate amount of black people in jail for nonviolent crimes that didn't fix anything. It caused more problems. And so when you're able to sell someone, uh, when you're able to gloss over all of that and sell someone the narrative that you're actually for them, when you've been making policies against them, then you're going to be able to capture them for a while. Now, this is why I think movements like Blexit, I think movements like uh, Walk Away, which is more general, not race-based, all of those movements are very in, uh, important, not because I want the Republican Party to get uh, stronger and bigger. I have no party affiliation. I like to just think I – like, I, I'm devoted to principles first and foremost. But mm-hmm. I, I also understand that one party is really driving a stake in the heart of everything that is good amongst black people, and that needs to be taken seriously. So whether you go to the Republican yeah. Party or you remain independent, I don't care. You have to get away from the party, which is pushing policies that really, forget race, don't help anybody. Because the reason that these policies are destructive are because, again, they cut at certain principles that human beings require to sustain themselves. Human beings require a sense of self-reliance to sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. Human beings mm-hmm. require a sense of agency to sustain themselves. Human beings require, especially in America, a country that is not based off of a European model of governance, a country in which you have to be, at least have some skin in the game to make it. Even if you get welfare, and a lot of welfare, you don't have the ability to be sustained off of it, which is why a lot of people, after the um, stimulus checks started to come, they were asking for more and more and more, because mm-hmm. it's never enough. In no, Europe, no. you have everything. You have healthcare ha- handed to you. Unless you have cancer, then you'll be waiting for like, Months upon months. Well, I was going to say, yeah, that that, that is the issue. When people people don't look at the flip side of some of these things, when the government is responsible for all of your life's issues, your money, your health, your 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 job, all of it, then you have to rely on the government, Mm -hmm. which is made up of people Mm -hmm. who have very distinct aims Mm -hmm. and goals. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to do that? Like, and why would you want to be in the European health system when you got cancer and they, they I, we, we're sorry, we have to delay you another week. Uh, we're sorry, we have to delay you another month. I mean, mm-hmm. a private doctor, an independent doctor would be able to see you mm-hmm. when you when you're attaching yourself to a government. It's like never growing up and mm-hmm. it's like never taking your own agency and your own self-reliance and putting mm-hmm. it to work and mm-hmm. I, I i it sickens me that people have been convinced that that's that's the best way to live it is it's like it, it's 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 like having a, a a person you must answer to and rely on for everything to go mm-hmm. forward in your life and that just that's counterintuitive to me to independence Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you see, the linchpin of society, amongst many other things, is justice. And then following from that principle is the idea of obligation. We are all, and basically all justice is, justice is a principle 
one of my favorite philosophers says this, Lord Kames. He was actually in correspondence with Benjamin Franklin. He had a big influence on the American founders. He said, justice is the principle that safeguards property. It safeguards covenants and contracts. And more, moreover, it keeps society well-oiled. So that means if it safeguards covenant and contracts, it also implies that we are obligated to do certain things and not to do certain things. Okay. Yeah. Well, if when the welfare system comes in, Justice is thrown out the window because obligation no longer matters. And well, in fact, obligation is inverted. You are now obliged to get in union with people who you never met, don't have any connection to, on the basis of some abstract principle, which doesn't apply to you or your life. Justice goes from the concrete, which is real justice, we would call it in philosophy, natural justice, to the abstract, which is more popularly termed social justice. And then that Mm -hmm. manages to have a deteriorating effect on social relationships in many different ways. Uh, it's very interesting. When you look at society, you look at how people in ev- their everyday life um, follow the idea of natural justice, then you do the flip side and say, okay, how is social justice received? You will almost always see a difference. Most people have no problem fulfilling their contracts with their obligations. In fact, in everyday life, we kind of do. When I go into a store and buy something, well, my I'm expected not to steal most people right. you're, don't you're still expected to pay some, for it. Yeah. Some people yeah. still, most people don't still them. But with social justice, right? You have these wacky ideas like like as Michael Eric Dyson said, white people having a savings account for black folks that that uh, as, as part of reparations. Okay. We're expected not to steal. How can you expect me to make a bank account for people I've never met on the basis of their skin color, people who've never been oppressed because their skin color was oppressed a long time ago? Again, when justice goes from the concrete to the abstract, you end up in absurdity. And when you end up in absurdity, you don't have a society. Without justice, you don't have a society. So these these ideas cut so deep. In fact, I was on yeah, I, I was on Newsmatch talking about Biden's student loan thing because you know I have quite a bit of student yeah. loans myself, and I didn't want his forgiveness package. I still don't want it. And I said, look, the linchpin of society is justice, and that is obligation, and. Biden, by trying to whisk away all my loans, is basically saying you're not obligated to what you decided to do with your money. And I have a problem with that. That's both a moral question and a practical question. I have a problem with that. And any person of goodwill and rationality should have a problem with that. I, and I think there are a lot of people who, who have seen this student loan thing as a tipping point in what the hell? Honestly, Mm -hmm. I signed for a loan. I said I would pay this loan back, mm-hmm. and now you're telling me I don't have to? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's insane. It's it, absurd is the word that you used, and we are living in absurd times. There is no question about that. He is Christian Watson, the national spokesperson for Color Us United. I'm really excited about your group and its future. I'm so glad you took time for us today. I, I I'd love to have you back because there's a lot more we can talk about. We have Absolutely. just scratched the surface, Christian, but I definitely want people to know about Color Us United. You can find them online. Uh, you can find out what they're doing, learn about all the, there are some amazing people affiliated with this group that are speaking in unison, in one voice. And, and it, it, it makes me hopeful. So thank you, Christian, so much for your time today. Well, thank you. It's very, very nice to talk to you. And I hope I can come back on as well. I hope so, too. We will do it again. This has been Sideline Sanity. Be brave, as as Christian has no shortage of bravery. We can see that. He speaks his mind. Do good, like the Salvation Army is supposed to do. <laughs> do it without any strings attached. And we'll see you next time. 
Happy to talk once again with Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. You know, I think it still is confusing to people, uh, some people, uh, as to why a precious metals investment would be a worthwhile one, particularly at this time when they're thinking, I'm doing all I can to put gas in the car. Why is now a particularly good time? And we'll go from there to how small of an investment is worthwhile for someone? You know, great question. And I think the the importance of why really comes into the fact that we have to save for ourselves, whether it's a little here, a little there, whether it's making it a plan and putting out so much a paycheck, whether it's making sure we fund our retirement account. We have to realize we are responsible for ourselves in the long run. <laughs> you mean that no one else is going to ride up and save us, you know, on some white steed? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. You know, that, and anyone who's promising to do that is getting ready to take advantage of you in some form or fashion. Yeah. And so, so if, if I'm an investor, a potential investor, and I'm looking at legacy precious metals and I'm saying to myself, yeah, I, I, this sounds smart. I don't have a lot to spend. What would you tell that person? I would say, do what you can. If you never start, you never get there. So the most important step you can take is saying, I'm going to take care of myself and my family. I'm going to make it a plan. I'm going to take action. I'm going to start in the way that's comfortable for me. That's the important thing. The first step is always the hardest. But once you take that first step, the second step is easier. And then you're moving. And then once you're in motion, it's hard to stop you. So that first step, most important step. I always tell people they can call and talk to an IRA expert or, or check out the, the guide that they can download for free, the investor's guide. What, what is the number one question that you get from people who are first-time investors? The biggest question I get, is this right for me? That is the question. And that comes from everyone. So, so everyone's asking the same, is this right for me? And yet we're all so unique. And, and yet it, it is a sound investment for just about any portfolio, isn't it? It is. We, even though we're all unique, that uniqueness is going to tailor the way we begin the investment. Okay. But we're all in the same situation. That's the one thing I think we seem to forget in today's society. Whether you agree with somebody or not, we're in this together. America is in this transition that we're in right now. We're dealing with the same issues. Some people like them, some don't, but we're all in it together, right? So the need is the same. How we prepare and how we invest is what changes from person to person, but we all have that same need. It's a great point. And again, I encourage people to 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 just make the call, pick up the phone. That step is always the hardest. I'm not sure why that is. In any kind of effort that you make in life, whether it's weight loss or exercise or investing some way to better your life, it always seems like that first hurdle is is the challenge. Uh, but when they call, who who are they going to talk to? Who what what's going to be on the other end of the line for them? Great question. You're going to speak with one of our customer representatives. And their job is not to sell you metals, right? We have a much different approach. We're going to answer all your questions. We're going to show you what options you have. And on the rare occasion, this isn't right for you. We're going to say this probably isn't right for you. Um, we have a gold company here, but you know, I, I say it all the time. What we actually deal in is customer service. We want each and every individual that calls to get the answers they need to be able to make the decision that's right for them. And we want to do that in a way that's not pushy, that's not salesy. 
And that's what makes my team so special. We care about each and every caller. And we're going to show you what options you have, and then you get to make an informed decision. So don't be afraid of the phone call. It's the best thing you can do. And this is why I am so honored and I feel privileged to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. They're the ones that I'm going to deal with. And I encourage you to pick up the phone, give them a call, even easier. Go check out their their guide. It's a free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. But as you said, Charles... Pick up the phone. You're going to talk to someone who can answer your specific questions and get get the ball rolling. Get get started. Do something that is a long-term play for your family's benefit. Charles, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always great to be here.